0: I wanted to relate to you something I heard from a very, very special lady who answered the question that I had uh, years ago of why is it that only uh, at Passover do we have the obligation to feel as if we ourselves uh, left Egypt? There's no obligation to... Imagine that we were sitting on the clouds of glory again, or that we are receiving the Torah, as if it's, as if it, as if we ourselves experienced it. It's a level. It's something to strive for. But the sechayev is obligated. It's an it's a it's an astounding statement. Now I don't know if there's anyone here from Miami, or who knows Miami, but there's a wonderful wonderful lady who's the uh, wife of the head. Of the day school in Miami named Rucha Bauman. Yeah, Is anyone who was Mrs. Bauman told me. I asked the question one year at the Seder, and she said it was simple. Because we're definitely not going to have another giving of the Torah. That's one of the tenets of Judaism. One time, there is no promise no expectation that we're going to sit on the clouds of glory again. But there's going to be another exodus. It's going to happen again. So, we have to get ready for it. We have to tune up. That's what she said. It, it's beautiful in simplicity. It's not our subject tonight. But since Rabbi chapter mentioned it, I couldn't resist giving over that thought of a very, very special lady My Rebbe Sadik Rocha said that Pesach night is the birthday of the Jewish people. A person sitting at the seder should know that they're sitting at a birthday party. They're celebrating the the, the birth of the nation, and it is therefore understandable why the night of the seder we emphasize the responsibility that we feel towards the Jewish people and we begin this say by saying whoever is hungry should come in and eat we say this year we are here next year in Jerusalem this year we are slaves next year we are free what do people in Jerusalem say? I want to tell you what people in Jerusalem say they say this year we are here next year in Jerusalem why? The answer is that the Jewish people are a unit. The Jewish people are a community which is called a a sheep, and which in fact the Paschal Lamb symbolizes the daintiness of an animal that when it, it gets any type of a, a wound, the whole body shudders. If there's one Jew who's suffering who's in exile who's in captivity then I haven't arrived I haven't arrived the Mishnah Brua in Simon Kuf Samach Zayim tells us why is it that if I have fulfilled a mitzvah if I've made Kiddush already and then another Jew comes along and hasn't heard Kiddush I can make the Kiddush again for that person and the Chafetz Chaim says because if you haven't made Kiddush then my Kiddush isn't complete it's one nation and we bear that responsibility and not only do we have a responsibility to the outsider to invite him in him or her in we have a responsibility to our children the Haggadah is a text on how to relate to people First of all, listen. Listen to the question. Don't start don't start giving a, a dissertation. Listen. And then take a good hard look at who you're talking to. Is this type of sun and that type of sun. Take a look. So the Seder night, part of the Seder night is a a feeling of responsibility to the Jewish people who are outside and a feeling of responsibility to the coming generations of the Jewish people but I wasn't asked to speak tonight about the Haggadah wherever I have spoken I have asked give me a topic because you're not here for me I'm here for you if the holiday of Passover of Pesach is a celebration of the birth of the Jewish people that means in microcosm we can learn from things that happened then the salient points by which an individual also was born and also grows and also takes their first walking steps in Judaism. How does it work? Now, the talk was entitled Leaving Egypt Twice because we're going to use as our example, there are many, many, of the fact that the Jewish people after they left Egypt and had escaped. Egypt was a place, Mitzrayim means nature. It's bordered in. I used to be able to give an example of Mitzrayim, a place that used to be called East Germany. There's a border, there was a border, that that a a, a bunny rabbit couldn't go across. Without all kinds of things going, going wild, all kinds of electric signals going off. The Jews were out of Egypt, and then Hakadosh Baruch Hu said, "Now go back, go back, go back." That's amazingly amazing. And we had to go back to a place called Baal Why? So we really went out twice, and that's the subject that we're going to try and glean something today about why the Jewish people in the beginning of their history had to leave Egypt twice. Now, I want to give a couple of principles which we're going to need. Each principle in itself is an entire subject. We're going to need certain pieces of information in order to understand the answers. First we have to know that a healthy human being is a balance of intellect and emotion. The Shem Yishmuel in Pashas B'chokosai says that Echad, one, is, has a numerical value of 13 because at 13 Echad there's a unity, there's a balance between the emotion and the intellect. A young child, a baby, is completely emotion. A young child is totally happy or totally sad because it's the intellect that tempers the mood. Well, it's not completely good, your situation, or it's not completely bad. So, the t- emotion isn't total. That's the intellect that does that. An infant only knows the emotion and therefore its feelings are total. They may change in a moment, but it's total. The emotion doesn't remember things. The emotion only knows now. One of the ways I describe a baby is that if it has a tickle in its throat, it's willing to wake up a continent. doesn't matter. I want a little drop of water. What do I care if everyone's asleep? Because only the now matters. As the child grows, the intellect begins to become stronger and stronger. The internalization of the human character is basically through the first years of life, and that is done by the mother. The words in Hebrew that talk about the internalization of information have as their root and mother in Hebrew you want to talk about basic training in in modern Hebrew it's called imunim imunim is a process where a person learns to do something so well that they can do it even when they're not thinking anymore i.e. someone shooting at them it's called imunim an uman is an artisan he can make something and it looks like he's not even thinking about what he's doing. It looks easy. And you know what? Because he's not thinking about it. Because it's been internalized. There are many words like that. Emuna has as its root mother. Emuna doesn't mean faith. It means steadfastness. Steadiness. It comes from something that's internal. You know why? Because if who I am is based on what's going on outside of me. Then what goes on outside of me is going to change, because this is a world that changes. That's one of the reasons why the Hebrew word for life, chayim, is always in plural, because it's constantly changing. So says, constantly changing. It's a kaleidoscope. So if you are connected to who you are only on based on what's outside of you, then you 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 are not going to be very stable. If you like me, I'm good. If you don't like me, I'm bad. You're in trouble. You are not permitted to place your happiness in anyone's hands, including the spouse, by the way. A spouse has a responsibility to help you be happy, but the responsibility to be happy is yours. Aim... Rav Hutna Zecha Sadiq said Aleph means I Aleph means one, I Men is the letter in the Hebrew alphabet that refers to faith because in in the word MS which is by the way truth MS which means truth its root is also mother Aleph Men it's the first letter of the alphabet the middle letter of the alphabet and the last letter of the alphabet it's MS because truth is constant. Now, the first letter of the alphabet, a person doesn't have to have faith. Because at the time of creation, the beginning of time, when the first letter of MS, I, when only Hashem was there, no, no need for faith. So, the last letter of the word MS is no need for faith either, because history is over. Things are clear. It's in the middle of history, which is the mem, middle letter, when you have to have a degree of faith. Aleph mem, mother, means the first one who I had my faith in. That's what the word means. And the nun, when we say emuna, a nun in Hebrew, what it says, is an extension of a previous concept. Like, rachamun means the one who is Constantly merciful, Rahum is he's merciful. The nun on the end extends the concept, the previously stated concept. Emuna main means I extended the faith, the trust that I felt to my mother. She was the first one, Aleph men. and I extended that to Hashem later. I grew. That's an emotional, an emotional type of a relationship. And it's not our subject tonight. Building communication with the child is basically nonverbal. The verbal part of speech talks to the mind, the nonverbal part of speech talks to the heart. And that's mother tongue. As the person gets older, then the intellect starts uh, joining that emotion. At 13, and by a girl at 12, there's a balance. It is this balance of maturity, this balance of intellect and emotion that we call maturity. Again, this is a subject in itself. I just want to add on a little piece over here. The intellect, again, the Shemishmul tells us that the intellect is symbolized by the sun. The sun is constant. Two plus two is four, whether I'm depressed or not. A sun is constant. The sun comes up in the morning, it doesn't wax, it doesn't wane, it's the same. That symbolizes the intellect. The intellect is constant. The moon symbolizes the... Emotion. It rises and falls. It waxes and wanes. It grows and shrinks. Because today, my emotion is such. Tomorrow is different. Now, the Jewish calendar has both. There's a part of the Jewish calendar which adjusts the calendar to, to the solar year. We have leap years in order to keep the holidays in line with the s- solar seasons. But, Primarily, the Jewish calendar is lunar. And the reason for that is the difference between the relationship of a non-Jew to Hashem and the relationship of a Jew to Hashem, and this is pertinent to our subject, is that the non-Jew, his nobility, his greatness, is the fact that he has Sechel. A non-Jew is obligated to use his mind. As again, Rabbi Tzodik says, Avram Avinu came, our father Abraham came into town, and he said, Rak em elokim In this place, there's no fear of God, there's no fear of Hashem's punishment. Fear of Hashem's punishment, that you have brains, you figure out that if somebody's stronger than you, and can punish you, you better listen. And Avram said, there's no yerus Elohim in this place. A non-Jew is obligated to use his mind. The Ramban says in the beginning of Parshish Noah that even though no prophet came to warn the world, don't steal, they were punished anyway. You know why? Because you should have figured it out. You're obligated to use your brains. And they will have a beautiful world when they follow the laws of Sechel, of, of intellect. A non-Jew is not commanded to have a relationship with God. He's commanded to use his brains. And it's a noble thing. It's a great thing. This is why this is my understanding of the Rambam. The Rambam says that whoever accepts upon themselves, any Gentile who accepts upon themselves the seven Noahide laws, has a portion in the world to come conditional on that he does those seven commandments because Moshe was commanded at Sinai was told at Sinai that these are commandments from God to be kept by all the world that's the condition then that individual is called a um umasailam and we'll translate that in a moment and they have a share in the next world now, one of the commentaries on the side, the Kesef Mishnah says that the Rambam is a ruling according to uh, Rabbi Yoshua, who says that non-Jews have a portion in the world to come. And that's all the Gemara says. That condition that the Rambam added, that he must do it because Moshe was commanded at Sinai, that all along this is a commandment from God, that the Rambam knows from logic. The question is, what's the logic? Is it it's logical? It's, it's... I think it's... The, the, the understanding here of the Rambam is obvious. When you follow the dictates of your mind, you will live a beautiful life. As the Rambam says, the Mishnah tells us that if you are kindly to your fellow, to your neighbor, you'll, have, you'll eat the fruits of that in this world. Because if you're good to someone they'll be good back to you that's why I tell people who have to uh, associate with people with bad character people who are selfish people who have a temper people who are jealous and you feel angry at them what do you do with an emotion? where do you put emotions? you can't repress an emotion it just pops up somewhere other way and then it's hard to trace where did it come from? you know what you do when you feel angry at someone like that? feel sorry for them feel sorry for them. Because they don't have much of a life. People with beard character do not have a happy life. And they always like to repeat the ma'isa, the story that I heard from my Rebbe, Zechot Tzadik who was in Los Angeles. He went to buy a used car from someone. And he wanted to take it to a mechanic to evaluate was it was worth the money. And the guy said to him, how do I know you're not going to steal it? How do I know? Who says you're going to bring it back? So Rebbe said, he's afraid I'm a thief. Maybe he's a thief. He went to the police, it was a stolen car.
1: <laughs>
0: because people who think that the world is full of thieves are thieves. People who aren't trusting is the people who themselves maybe aren't so trustworthy. You'll have a good life if you have good character. And you use your brains, you use your intellect. But what does that have to do with God? You're not connected to God. You're connected to your brain. Which is fine. Adnanji was not obligated to more than that. If, however, he does mitzvahs, <coughs> he does commandments because he was commanded by God, then that's the stuff that the next world is made out of. Because what is Olam have What is the next world? It's a connection to God. So, oh, you do mitzvahs because God commanded you. You have a connection to him. That's like Olam And that's why it's called a chassid umasa'elam. A chosid is someone who takes the things that he's obligated to do and builds on them and does more. So that's what this non-Jew is doing. He's only obligated to follow his intellect. And he goes further than that and wants a connection to God. So when we talk about the Jewish connection to God, we're talking about intellect plus emotion. There's a certain trust there's a certain trust that a Jew is obligated to have because there's an emotional connection. Doris Simeach, he is, why is it that Shabbos wasn't given to the nations of the world? It's the anniversary of the creation of the world. Give it to the whole world. And we say in our prayers that you didn't give it to the nations. Why? And the answer Doris Simeach gives is in order to keep Shabbos, you have to trust Hashem. You have to be willing to keep... You mean close your store on Saturday? What's wrong with you? You have to trust Hashem. Only a nation that left Egypt and went through the process that of what they saw and they experienced, then Hashem said, you have to trust me. I command you on Travis. I command you to keep Travis. The nations of the world didn't go out of Egypt. They didn't learn what it means they didn't experience the things that would give them trust so they can't be obligated to keep shy. you can't obligate someone to do something and not give them the tools to do it the tools to keep Shabbos you have to trust Hashem you had to have gone out of Egypt so you couldn't give it to the nation you couldn't obligate the nations of the world so there's a relationship that a Jew has to Hashem which is there's an emotional relationship I want to be with you And this, by the way, is one of the answers that we're going to give to our question. As Fr. explains, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. He said, if the Jews had left Egypt and not gone back, they they would remain in doubt forever. Maybe they were just trying to get out of Egypt. It wasn't a very pleasant place for them. The fact that they went back, Hashem said, go back, and they went back that's a sign. In Talmud, you have a concept, we now see retroactively that when they left the first time, that's what they wanted to be with Hashem. And I give a, a parable, an example on that, to put this into clearer focus. A person, Khasa is in Auschwitz. And someone says, Look, I'll get you out of here. I'll, I'll, come with me, I'll get you out. And he, he gets you out, and he's standing in Switzerland, and you say, You know, let's go back. So, if you say, no thanks, I had a one-way ticket. So, that's a sign you weren't interested in being with the guide. You were interested in getting out of there. But if, when that guide picks himself up and takes the train back to Poland and you go with him, that's a sign you want to be with the guide. Wherever he goes, I want to go. So, the first... uh, way of looking at why the Jews went back, this last sentence says, is to show the world, we want to be with Hashem, wherever He is. If We've got to go back to that awful place, we'll go back to that awful place. It's beautiful. That's not the lesson for life, that um, I think you wrote in the, in the uh, when the, this talk was publicized, but it, it's beautiful. That's one thing we have to know in order to have our answer. The answer that I'm coming for, which I call a lesson for life. Is there such a thing as intellect and there's such a thing as emotion and these things, the total person and a total Jew has to be able to combine them. A second thing we have to know is that there's a concept in Judaism that a person can have two types of inspiration. They can have an inspiration that is generated from above. HaKadosh Baruch likes you. He wants to give you a an opportunity to, to, to grow. And the Rambam says that there are certain sins that Hashem says, I'm not going to let you do truva. I'm not going to let you repent. What does it mean? I'll never give you a situation where you're going to think anything is wrong. You'll remain rich and healthy and famous there will be no inkling from me, Hashem says, that there's any problem. But someone who Hashem loves, he puts him in a foxhole. No atheists in the foxhole. Or he puts a person into a, into a difficult situation. I once had a counsel a person who was about to undergo brain surgery, and he didn't know, they could not promise him that he would come out alive. And he spoke to me the last few minutes before he went in and he told me things that he wanted to his children. It was a moment of truth. And that person's life has not been the same since. Rosh Hashem, he came out, the the operation was successful, but Hashem did this man a very great favor. That's one kind of awakening. There's another kind of awakening where a person themselves motivates themselves and builds and thinks and becomes inspired. There's a very great difference. I'm going to give you examples of this where <coughs> there's in Judaism. You have notice a very basic difference between these two types of awakenings, I'm using a Kabbalistic term. Those who know little Aramaic, it's Sarusa de Lassata, an awakening from below, is Sarusa de Laila, an awakening from above. An awakening from above is not permanent. It is by definition not permanent, because something that's not yours is not yours. Like they say, I was about to say in the old country, but they say here, okay. I refer to America as the old country. Yeah? (laughs) Easy come, easy go. There are two mountains. Again, the Shem Mishmuel says, there's Mount Sinai and Mount Moriah. Mount Sinai, you can go up to the top of Mount Sinai, walk around, if we know where it is, no problem. There's no special sanctity there. Mount Moriah we can't we can't tread over there. You know why? Because Mount Sinai it was an inspiration from above. And Mount Moriah was a Ramavinu. He sweated to bring about a level of of service of Hashem when he was commanded to slaughter his son. He did it himself. Those things remain. Those things remain. Now, there are a lot of examples of this. You know, the Spasemis again says that the first time the tablets were given, it was a big hollow below. It didn't stay, it didn't remain. The next time, when we worked and we sweated and we did shuva and it was quiet, it wasn't wasn't so public, that state. Things that are Given to me for nothing are taken away quickly. In fact, this is a very important point, and again, it's a subject in itself. The definition of test in Judaism, when we say Hashem tests you, what does it mean? It means that Hashem takes away from you the help that he normally gives, and he makes you feel abandoned. As again, the Mishmul says, Vayar <speaking in Hebrew> rochok. He saw the Mokhan, Hashem, he's far away. At the time of that prototype test, which was the uh, binding of Isaac, the Akedah Sitzkok, we see Hashem said, now go yourself. Go by yourself. I will take away from you all those feelings, all that inspiration which I endowed you with. I'm going to take it away now. Let's see now if if uncle knows how to run. That's what a test is. That's the definition of a test. In the chassid v'shashvarim, in the litzvah it's, it's it's across the board. Across the board. Hashem only takes away from you what He gave you. Things that you earn by yourself, you keep. And once again, this, it, this, I'm sorry, it's, it's really not, I, I should show you my voracious, Yeah, There's a principle in this phasemis, in the beginning of Parshish Miketz, which is, one, in my opinion, one of the most important principles that I ever saw in Latter-day books. Every human being, he says, just like in Egypt, there was seven years of plenty which was followed by seven years of famine every human being in their lifetime has quiet time with which to internalize ideas and when it gets noisy like we said before imunim things get internalized they're part of you then you can function even when the brain isn't working so well that's the function of quiet time that's the function of night time that's the function of the quiet time before children come home do you know what child remembers how you looked, your facial expression when you walk through the door from school that's what it stays in the child's mind if there's a consistent happy hello then that child is going to that's a memory and by the way I'm not going to ask any halochah there's a, a mara there's a rabbi here You better find out if spring cleaning is making you crazy and nervous and tense. You better find out there are halachic shortcuts to making things no longer comets. There are such things. A child will remember there's a message from your creator a child will remember the tension the nervousness the bickering the exhaustion that precedes every Pesach a heck of a lot better than the great esoteric idea that you're going to say to Satan. So please, I beg of you, the child should have good memories. Good memories. Ramsadic explains that that's why the Talmud tells us that if the Jewish people will keep two Shabbos, will keep two Saturdays in a row, will keep Shabbos twice in a row, Mashiach will come. And he explains it's beautiful. He says like this The first Shabbos was a divine inspiration. Man had put no effort in preparing for that Shabbos. It was a a start. You gotta get the ball rolling. So, the first Shabbos, man did not have six days beforehand to prepare for. The second Shabbos is a Shabbos which has followed a week of preparation. Now, the Shabbos that we have today, the Shabbos again says, he brings in our Rizal. In, in, in the menorah, so all the, the the lights, the flames, were pointed towards the middle. Yeah? This is the middle of Shabbos. Three days before Shabbos, we get into the um, gravitational pull of the coming Shabbos. That's why you're not supposed to take a trip from Wednesday onward, which could lead you to desecrate the Shabbos. In the old days, you took an ocean voyage. And you, you, you had to do work. It's very dangerous. So you're not about from Wednesday on to, to, take, to, to embark on that voyage. Because you're already in the gravitational pull of the next Shabbos. Havdalah? I'm not talking about the bracha on the spices, I'm not talking about the on the lights. I'm, I'm not in, uh, making a halochic statement here. Okay? You can make avdola until Tuesday. Because the next three days are in the gravitational pull of the previous travels. Now, this is a whole subject in itself. It's it, 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 it's it's beautiful. Yeah? There are many, many things over here that... But this, the Avni Major says that when you prepare for Shabbos for three days so then you get three days benefit out of it to the degree that you put effort into something then later on you're going to reap the benefit Abedin was a very great man so there are two Shabbos the Shabbos where we began we were given the first man was given an inspiration but then he's supposed to take that inspiration and work and put into the next Shabbos those two Shabboses, which have the combination of the awakening from above and the awakening from below, has the totality of Shabbos, and that's why you have to keep two Shabboses in order for the Moshiach to come, at least according to the Bible. Alright? Okay. Now we're ready to um, talk a little bit more... <coughs> about why we, why, why we had to go back. Again, this um, spasemus explains, we're going to make two points here. The first time a person is given an awakening from above, so it, they may not have merited it, it's present. That's why, by the way, it's explained why the Jewish people said after two commandments, Enough! Don't tell us anymore. Because it's too much. We're going to be tested according to what we're given as a present. We're going to be tested, Rav says. Two is enough right now to digest. And they were right. Hashem had no tainas on them. There were no complaints. The first time they left Egypt, Hashem picked them up. I wore you on eagles' wings. It was terrific. It was a free ride. Now you go back and see, did you internalize what you learned the first time out? Now do it yourself. Let's see, did you internalize it? That's why they were so afraid. So this first sentence, that's why they were so afraid. You mean, this time we're going to be judged. Did we internalize it? Do we know it? Did we learn it? Yeah? That's, 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 Scary. Now we're we're going to be judged on our own merit. It's like the two days of Rosh Hashanah. The first day of Rosh Hashanah is, do you deserve to live? The second day of Rosh Hashanah is, does somebody else need you? Because if someone else needs you, that's a ticket. It's also a ticket. But there's a third answer to why the Jewish people had to go back. And then in a few minutes I'm going to uh, ask the questions. The process. Now we're going to combine the two ideas that we just gave. We said that there's intellect and there's emotion. And that there's an awakening from above and an awakening from below. Let's take these two pieces and put them together. The Svasamis and Absolute and others explain in the beginning of a person's service of Hashem, there's a certain leap of faith. Now, that leap of faith is powered by a lot of understanding. When you trust someone, that trust should be based on a reason. But often the beginning of a relationship is trust. I tell people who are uh, going on Shidduchim, a mashgich in the yeshiva where there are 180 boys, some of them are going out. At any given day, there's three or four or five guys who are involved in some kind of a shidduch. You have to know that you cannot know somebody until you're married to them. It can't, it can't be done. Like the Prasuk says, uh, Yitzhak took Rivka for a wife and he loved, her. he loved her after he married her. Because love is based on understanding, you have to know who you are. Like Rashi says, Ki yidatid, because I know him, and Rashi says that's an expression of love. If you don't know someone, you can't love them, because who are you loving anyway? And you can't know someone unless they have gone through things that you cannot project before marriage. We have a seven-month-old baby who still is nursing every three or four hours. My wife, for seven months, has not slept for three or four, more than three or four hours straight. You know, when someone is on that type of what they would call clinically sleep deprivation, yeah? You find out more about that. You can't find that out, yeah, beforehand. Now, maybe the, the the feminine part of the audience won't like this, but I tell the boys take a long walk with her, three, four, five hours walk. Let's see if she's healthy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Isn't that me? Take a walk. shame. <laughs> <Touché. laughs> and in Jerusalem A three hour walk Is a six hour one in LA It's up and down Hills and valleys Wherever you go But that's not the only reason Five bucks And die from heat exhaustion <laughs> <laughs> That's for the guys too
1: <laughs>
0: There are a lot of things You can't find out About a person Until you marry them you know, my Rebbe Zechah Sazek the Vruchah said, um, in order to get married, you have to be a little bit blind. And <laughs> Hashem makes that miracle for younger people more easily than, than for older people. <laughs> it's a miracle. You get a little bit blind to get married. <laughs> a, but that's a miracle He makes for young people. An older person is "See like, she's alive. It's a rough deal. You know. What's the old debauchah syndrome? He's gone out with 80, 90, 100 girls, and he knows what he sees. He sees a problem. He's right. He's right on. A few married problem. I remember a guy was unbelievable. This is a type of digression, but this guy went out with so many girls. He had he had index cards in everyone. one. <laughs> your guy He's right. Yeah? There was one girl. He saw her at a Leviah. He went back to his index card. He liked her. What was the problem? This is uh, many, five years yesterday I'd gone out, but approximately. He went back. Everything checked out, except she was a little bit too young for him. Then, <laughs> so you know, it's a little crazy, yeah. You can't know everything, but you have to have a directional. You have to have a a a good reason to believe that it'll grow. <coughs> you have to have good reason to believe it will grow. sure, a person in a relationship starts with trust. Ramsadik says a beautiful thing. He says, the first mitzvah that a, a, a bar mitzvah boy does, the very first mitzvah that a boy, you know, is Krishna at night. The nighttime time Krishna, the day has begun, the day of his bar mitzvah has begun, the day begins with the night before, right? And the first thing he does, is says, the Shema at night. The nighttime Shema is symbolic of the night time is a time when of trust. We say the a time we talk about trust at night, you can't see. The first act of a mature person who has reached his maturity is you say Shema at night. The beginnings of a person's initial steps in Judaism There's there's an element of trust. However, it's a leap. It's an emotional leap. A person thinks happened to someone and and, and they become amazed and they say, wow, this is terrific. I want to learn more about it. And that's, it's right, it's great, it's terrific. But, afterwards, you go back and you work it through, you use your head. People want to know, why, why aren't religious Jews robots? Every single moment of your life, there's a halakha that tells you what you're supposed to be doing, what's the right thing, what's the wrong thing. How come you're not a robot? My answer is, as far as I know, I haven't been in the Himalayas, but as far as I know, Torah Judaism is the only system that obligates you to understand yourself because the halacha will, in many, many cases, fluctuate according to who are you? You have to know who you are. An obligation to know who you are can't be a cult. That's not a robot. Many, many, many questions are contingent, are dependent on who are you? What's your situation? How do you feel? Now, not just emotion. But it, you have to be in touch. In many questions, you've got to be in touch. ...entry into Hashem's world. What happened in Egypt is how we began. We were establishing, it was the birthday of Jewish people, Rebbe said it was an establishment of an emotional relationship not just an intellectual one the non-Jew has an intellectual relationship and that's terrific but the Jew was expected to, uh, to do things even if they don't understand they came to Sinai they were expected to accept the Torah that they hadn't fully understood yet how do you do that? trust so there's a leap there's an emotional leap of trust, of love, of wanting to be a child to Hashem. We have two types of relationships to God: avinu and Malkeno. A mele, you wait for a commandment from the King, you listen to him, you do it. But we're more than that. We're a child. A, the difference in a child's relationship to a King and a son, and a relationship a child's relationship to a father and a servant's relationship to a king is that the child is going to expend effort to find out what does Tati like? What he like? What's going to make him happy? Without being told. A king, you do as you're told. You do things on your own, you're getting into trouble. That's why there's a Jewish concept of Torah study. Torah study is so paramount in Judaism. The says in Baba Metia that there is such a thing, in element is, there's such a thing as a house of prayer by Gentiles also. There's such a thing. But a house of study? The doesn't say there's such a thing. You know why? Because the concept of that you study and study and study, even if it's not something I need to know in order to perform a certain mitzvah, it's the idea of study. It's unique to Judaism. You know why? because I want to know what's important to Tati because my definition of love is if it's important to you it's important to me when I study Torah any part of Torah is an expression of love I want to know Tati what's important to you that's what that's what the act of studying Torah is so that nation had to begin its existence the Tzvatsanah said b'chipadzot quickly you do emotion there's a relationship I have to figure it out explain everything to me but that's not permanent you go back again and now do it slowly now work it through because we're not robots and we are required to understand and Sarsimah says an amazing thing he says the son who's the Chocham says what explain to me the chokim chokim are statutes that have no explanation he wants to understand that also and he says an amazing thing which mirrors a a, a truth of life which we're not going to have time to go into that if you if you trust Hashem and you do things even though you don't understand them the day is going to come you'll understand and the tzaddik wants to know the explanations to a chok also everything has a reason everything has a reason I'll give you an amazing Shafemin. Just a a beautiful example of how everything has a reason. Many of you, uh, this concept is foreign to you, but it's so beautiful. You know, in in, in the Torah, there is a concept of of, of a vessel becoming impure if it's touched by a dead person. It becomes ritually impure. So most vessels, so even if they're touched from the outside, they can become rendered impure. They have to be purified. A vessel made out of earthenware, it's in yeah, you, it only can become impure if the if the thing falls into the container part. What's the difference? So what? The container part. He says he says something which is unbelievably beautiful. He every vessel, the value of that vessel is contingent on two things the material that it's made out of, it could be a precious metal, it could be something that has value, the container has value. And what's inside? An earthenware vessel is made of mud, made of baked in a kiln, a baked earth. The, the, The material of which the vessel is constructed has no value at all. If I want to know, is this vessel a valuable one or an invaluable one it depends. If it's holding tar, it's not so valuable. If it's holding diamonds, it's very valuable. So the, the, the thing that will determine is this vessel important is going to be what it contains. Because the the, the, the the material which is constructed is not worth anything. So therefore it only can be rendered in when it falls into the container part. It's, it, and, and that's just the for instance. Everything has a reason. And we learn in the beginning. People have to know. Our life is full of beginnings. Whether it's relationships, whether it's subjects, whether it's a job, a person sometimes has to take a jump, Has to have to leap. Gets excited, gets inspired, and moves. But it's not permanent. Hashem gives us that inspiration but it's not permanent it's not yours the day is going to come without any doubt it's going to get taken away you have to when it's still quiet Hashem gives you time to so now internalize those ideas make them real to you have those for you it takes time and it's slow going it's slow going when someone grows slowly that's the time it's permanent you make the first leap, you make the commitment, but then it takes time, it takes time, it takes time. And the Vilma Glein explains why were the people afraid of Mordechai? Because he says, Ish Mordechai hoylech v'gadol. He's, he's growing by steps. By Haman, it says, One shot. The king raised him up to the top from the smallest to the highest. Mordechai hoylech v'gadol. It says, the says about Tzadikim, that they're like the sunrise. It's slowly, slowly, slowly. By the way, the Aalshukh explains, we say in Dawining, He shines, He lights up the world and those who live on it with mercy. So the Aalshukh says in Kohelis that He lights up the world slowly. The sun rises slowly. It gives your eyes a chance to adjust. That's the Rachamim. It's mercy. Real growth is slow growth. Permanent growth is slow growth. One step at a time. So we see from the fact that, we, as Fatima says, in fact, we had to go back. We had to go out of Egypt twice. We had to first go out with a big jump. Like the Barmissa boy who says Shema at night, even though he doesn't understand what we walk. But then they got to go back. There's a lot of learning to do. And that process is the process of permanence when a person builds themselves up. That Hashem never takes away from you. That you carry around with you forever. The things that you put into yourself are the sweat of your brow. And that is why Torah study, there's a, there's a concept of laboring in Torah. You know why? Because study of Torah is an act of love. The degree of love that I have would, can be measured by how much effort I put in. If I go buy an esrad and I go through a lot of trouble to get it, it's terrific. There's reward for the effort. But when you're shaking the wool of an esrad, it's the same esrad as the guy who did nothing to get it. But Torah study, there's an intrinsic variable of how much effort did you put in. Do you know why? This is my understanding. I told it to great men. And they agreed. Of Because Torah study is an act of love. It's a demonstration of love. So how much love there is, is related to how how difficult was it? How much effort did you put out? That's what this says. We left Egypt twice. Because the second time we have to do it ourselves. Got any questions? That's a good sign. (laughs) Or maybe it's too late. I talk too much. Oh, please, it will be the first time in my life I've ever gave a talk and no one asked a question. <laughs> huh? Maybe one of my friends in the audience can can bail me out over here. Yes? Um, many women have different obligations to
2: Torah study. So is that the same for women
0: that it's an act of love? Torah study is an act of love by anyone who studies it. Okay. The reason women were freed actively from the constantness of having to study the difference between men and women is that women do not have the constant obligation to study every second they have and a man does and the reason is because a woman... you you know, I teach in pre-seminaries in Jerusalem I do not talk to them about women's issues at least until halfway through the term because I have a big problem, I'm a man okay? Look, it'll sound patronizing. You don't even know me, okay? Because women have more important things to do. There's nothing more important than study. But there are things that are so important that if you will saddle a woman with the need to every moment, every spare moment to study, there are are obligations that that are going to slide. And when a woman's work, when a woman's contribution to the family slides, then we're all in big trouble. I know that sounds like pie in the sky, and it sounds like a cliche. What can I tell you? But it's true. And, I, and I, what can I tell you? I, I have. I can go on and on about this, but that that's the the point is that a woman needs to be freer in order to carry out obligations that the man doesn't have. Yes.
2: When you talk about the base, yes. Yeah. Right. Knowledge.
0: I'll repeat the question.
2: We talk about thinking of the sense of that, that the are obligated to use and that Jews are obligated to use as well. That this is something that's given by Hashem, that we have So it doesn't seem to be given in a, in a constant way. There are things that are obvious to some people that are not obvious to others. The whole idea of theft, you know, we see laws and all okay. of that. So my question is basically. Why is it in this sort of a cumulative thing that we can grow through the generations having this knowledge if it's already implanted in us? Sure, so so we can. But we don't seem to progress in terms of humanity, in terms of Jews. Why aren't we becoming more, going uh, to higher levels in a sense, if the faith was already within us? You see what I'm saying? I mean, what. What degree is there an obligation to use it? Because we have to learn it all from these babies every time a child is born. It's not something that is already there. <coughs> you see what I'm saying? It's not like okay, if
0: know. I understand your question, it's as follows. Why is it that the intellect of a person starts off from point zero and then grows? Why isn't it that a person isn't gr- isn't, doesn't begin with a lot of sechel? Now, that's different than where you started. You started by asking, well why aren't we reaching great heights in intellect because each generation should build on the other yeah
2: there's There's
0: an inborn intellect there are two there are two Martin Torahs the Torah was given twice the first time when the world was created man was given a conscience an instinctive understanding of right and wrong an instinctive understanding that there's a creator there's an instinct that is a creator ok um, and then Torah was given to Jewish people to the Jewish people there's a, there's a phrase in the Talmud that, which says this very eloquently <clears throat> why do I have to have a verse to support a certain idea it's logical if logic was not as strong as a verse then the question would hold no water I want a verse it's a better proof but it's not a better proof so the Gemara will ask what do I need a plastic for?" I have a verse yeah so every human being is given intellect however that mechanism is extraordinarily delicate it can be thrown off very easily and that's why a person has to develop early on a very strong commitment to honesty and sometimes, if you don't know, you have to ask. Okay. <coughs> I don't know if I have I answered your question. You um, the, the instinct of conscience is with human creation that everyone has. <laughs> from his mouth, from the blowing of his mouth, a person got intellect. When Hashem blew into Adam, the when Hashem blew into Adam a breath of life, he blew from within himself. God has an intellect and a human being has an intellect. Yes. Um if to what this players said
1: here, I don't think we start out from zero every time, even when
3: the baby starts out maybe from zero in terms of the the and ten times emotions. that's because of human culture, Jews or non Jews. Um, if you if you took any one of us in this rule and put us in the Amazon jungle, and said, "Okay, now go survive." See, from a logical point of view, not from a spiritual point of view, go survive. We we, we we would fail. All all the things that we've learned to survive in, in in this world have been the product of thousands and thousands of years of culture and technology that we that we gain and we learn and we we build upon. And it, it's the same it's the same ethically I mean we have we have all our our, our stages and, and things that we build upon so even though the individual may start from zero you start reaching it until like a very early age and teaching you don't start from point zero and teaching discovering discovering the wheel over again every time These things are built upon
0: I mean, I'll ca- tell you I have an amazing story I'm sorry it's really not planned it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's amazing. Mayor, well, we'd love to have you back
1: anytime.
0: Fasemis <laughs> <laughs> um, was a very, very great man in his own right when he was very young, and someone wants to. If how could someone so young have such vision? So it was either him or his grandfather Chedushi who gave this parable. I'm, I'm sure you heard it that. There are some people, in order to get to the top of the mountain, have to climb it. Yeah? There are some people who were born on the top of the mountain. Huh, yeah, you? Despite MS, he was born into a family where he imbibed from his very earliest moments, that's what you're talking about, that people were born into a civilization. But I, I, I want to, having said that, make a comment that uh, there is a difference intellect and intelligence. Today, um, the ability to think creatively, I think, has taken a downturn. It says there's so much technology, there's so much to fiddle around with, yeah? So then, you know, you, we can create great things. But the, the ability to, if we, our intell- intellectuals today, we ask them to rec- recreate the wheel, they wouldn't be able to. Because there's a certain laziness of thinking that has been going on. Why is a different subject? And don't get me started on it. So it's true, um, there is an accumulated body of knowledge that's the uh, heritage of every human being born on this planet. body
3: of Jewish knowledge.
0: Right. It's a right. However, the ability to use your mind to understand is a different thing. We say in the beginning of Shemon Eshrei, mm-hmm. our God and the God of our fathers. A human being's relationship with God has to have two wavelengths. One is my God, that I have discovered through my own investigation, and also the God that I know by tradition. That's the Lekev was When I know something by tradition, it's stable, but it doesn't light me up, it doesn't excite me. Something i discovered by myself excites me. It's my own, yeah? But it's not not so stable. Someday someone may come and refute it. So we say our relationship to God is a combination of my God and the God of the Father's. And that's the same idea over here. There's the, in, the things that I discover myself with my own intelligence and the things that I have by tradition. And a healthy person has to take both and, and, and utilize them. Yes? What determines
2: that, um, what, of tests are, what determines that
0: That's a terrific question. I'll answer it briefly, but there is a tape that uh, I have on how Hashem tests us and how to pass. Okay? We have to know... It all depends who you know. That's part of it. Yeah? Um, You want to know how we know. That was your question. What determines it? Again, the spouse tells us isn't he a great speaker, it? <laughs> <laughs> it tells us is a mission that says Im ena nili, right. Im ena nili, If I am not for me, who is going to be for me? So the says that every human being on this planet has a different mission. Im If I'm not going to do my job, mele, who's going to be for me? So he explains, because everyone has a unique mission, that's the happiness of life, that we're not clones. All right? every human being is obligated to say, the world was created for me, the Geshe Achayim said, because every person has a different set. What determines it? Without getting into the Kabbalistic element of that question, which is certainly generic to the question, of what's the mission of a soul, the function of a soul in this world, a human being has to take into consideration when they want to understand themselves. All right? There are two things by which a person will um, measure in self-understanding and therefore by extension what uh, what I need to fix and what I need to improve on and what I need to build on. Because people, we're not in this world just to correct our, our deficiencies. We need to build on our strength. Again, as Chasemeth says, mm-hmm. The eight of Hashem is going to be Solid, it's going to stand. What the ace of The things that you're good at doing. That's Hashem's ace to you, because it's nice to you. Yeah? A person has to look at the frequency of the test, how often it happens. There are tests you just can't seem to get around, and the intensity of the test. Yeah. That's when we measure progress. I told someone today, you want to measure a child's progress. I oh, you want to measure your own progress. You used to get angry at anything that hits level 1 all the time. And now you only get angry at level 2 some of the time. That's a great improvement. Most human beings don't get angry until you hit level 5. Right? But you progress. So you have to look at the intensity and you have to look at the frequency. Okay? The third thing you have to look at is where you are, your time of life, the place you're living in. Uh, because there are things that are, are more important to you in the, in your life situation than other things. For instance, um, a student in the school has to work on laziness, has to work on on being able to get along with others. I t- again, I teach in three seminaries and and, and three or four uh, yeshivas, and I tell them a bad roommate, a difficult roommate, is a school for happy marriage. <laughs> <laughs> org is well. A difficult roommate, org is well for the for the for the upcoming marriage. Because you have to learn how to get along. Someone who's difficult to get along with, it's a blessing. Yeah?
1: <laughs>
0: Girls get no sympathy from me, and the buckum neither Get all oh, this and this and no sympathy. It's a great blessing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. But so someone who's living In a situation where they have to learn to get along, they have to to control their temper, they have to be considerate. I told the boys in the yeshiva that people come and ask me about the bacham. They ask me, you know, what... Of course, uh, by the way, if you ever have to check on a yeshiva, don't talk to the masjidah. It's a waste of
1: time.
0: I'm telling you, I know. I'm the masjidah in the yeshiva, and I know how you answer questions. Okay, you don't say anything, any lies, but you know, you try and, and present the best. Hush the apple, so to say. Yeah. So you don't check, but you you go, you find out who the roommates are. Yeah, and then you go. I'm serious, right? Huh? Yeah. Those of you who are not yet married, I'm giving you a great gift. Yeah, you get somebody to go and sit down eyeball to eyeball and ask specific questions. Because right before someone's about to tell a lie, there's a little tension in the eyes. <laughs> yeah? And you look into their eyeballs and ask a specific question. Yeah? I've done it. It works. Yeah? Um, so I told them, if they could be studious all day and they can have great levels of devotion to Hashem, if they walk into their room late at night and they turn on the light or they make noise, they should leave the yeshiva immediately because they have no chance of finding each other. If anyone talks to me. Because what kind of husband are you going to be like the disciple told his granddaughter the fact that somebody is a great diligent student of Torah doesn't mean he's going to be a good husband because the standard, the lectern that he studied on never asked him to take out the garbage. Okay? <laughs> you understand? be mm-hmm. very blunt. Yeah? So... You have, you have to learn how to get along. If you make noise in your room, it's like, forget it. Yeah? So you have to also look at what, where your stage of life is and also where you're living. Because sometimes um, a different talent that you have may be needed in your particular place, and that's another facet of your personality. Rebbe used to say, you have to give according to you have to teach, in, 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 his, in his will, he said that he only allowed two things to be said about him if his wife was still alive. If his wife wasn't alive anymore, he, would, he did not commit any eulogies. But his wife was alive for one week afterwards. She said, Matsuri Shabbos after the shim, She said, I don't know, I didn't realize, she said to have Lawrence, I couldn't believe that I could live without him. A few hours later she was dead, Shabbos told so he said, he, he agreed to have said about him two things. One is that he endeavored his entire life to teach Torah according to the ability of the person who started in. And the second is that he had some causative uh, effect on some people to become closer to Judaism, which in all due respect is a slight understatement. Okay. But that, this was his life credo. You give to a person what they need. Yeah. Therefore, depending where you are, you're going to have to adjust Yeah. Uh, what things you need to perfect, and what things you you need to give. It's been a pleasure.